We are go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Just imagine a world where you will hold your entire future in the palm of your hand, when a tiny glowing crystal will guide you through an existence in which each day is more wonderful than the last, where it will be possible for you to obtain the fulfillment of every fantasy, the satisfaction of every vanity, the absolute attainment of every wish. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents the Saul David production of Logan's Run, a fantastic journey through a world beyond imagination. Welcome to the 23rd century, the perfect world of total pleasure. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just one catch. When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. Michael York is Logan. Run, Logan! Policeman in a perfect world. No! Trained to track down runners. Run, Logan! Until he is forced to run himself. Stand. We all go crazy once in a while. But she's a runner, and it's over. Box, an incredible being. More than human, more than machine. Diabolical guardian of the gateway to freedom. Or Logan and the woman who loves him. like that before. That must be the look of... of being old. MGM takes you into a new age of adventure in the first motion picture of the 23rd century. Logan's Run. It begins where imagination ends. Welcome, human. I am ready for you. Fish, plankton, sea greens, and protein from the sea. Fresh as harvest day. Overwhelming, am I not? Are you too startled? Am I too removed from your ken? What? Who are you? I'm more than machine, or man. More than a fusion of the two. Don't you agree? 
wait for the winds. Then my birds sing and the deep grottos whisper my name. Box, box, box. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we will be discussing all things related to Logan's Run. Straight away, let's kick it over to our Chief Engineer Bob. Bob! We're talking about Logan's Run. Now, you have seen the film? Oh, yeah. Well, I saw the film all the way back when it was new in the theaters. That's how old I am. <laughs> and uh, I've seen it a few times in between, and I did watch it uh, this week in preparation of the podcast. Very good. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, keeping in mind we were discussing this before we started, the fact that Logan's Run was 1976, so it was actually out before Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So back then, it seemed like an awe-inspiring special effects extravaganza. You know, mm -hmm. watching it the other night, I could definitely see the wires and carousel and, uh, right. and things like that. It's like, <laughs> okay, so it's not... Although the one thing I was very impressed with was the miniatures of the dome city. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. You know, because when they're doing that big pan of the dome city at the beginning, you know, there, there's no CG, there's no mats, there's no paintings. It's all miniatures from, you know, camera to horizon. It's yeah. all miniatures. And, uh, you know, some things kind of give it away, but a lot of it is really actually pretty impressive. To this day, I agree with you, yeah. And, uh, so I'll, I'll cover that part if you guys want to talk about well, okay. other Let's aspects. But Kick it up to the satellite. Karen, thoughts? Well, this of is one of those movies that if, if I see it on TV, no matter what point it's at, I will sit and watch it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why, because I, it is actually quite cheesy now. Um, <laughs> it's definitely a product of, of the 70s. And it is entertaining, though. It is very entertaining, and that's why I watch it. But but I think it has a lot more to do with my my sentimentality than the actual quality of the film. Yeah. But but there are aspects, there are things about it that I think speak to people. Um, you know the the premise of of you know well you only get to live so long, and when you're a kid and you see it, when you're you know twelve and you see it, thirty seems like well hey that's a pretty good deal, but when you're our age. <laughs> It's like, hey, that's that's pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I you know I remember seeing it in the theater as well with a bunch of my friends, and immediately after we saw it, I you know I wasn't so philosophical then. We went over to the mall because, of course, Logan's Run was filmed in a, a Dallas mall, um, and it was pretty obvious. And we went over to our local mall, and then we played Sandman and Runner, and immediately got thrown out of the mall. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, it has it has a lot of great action elements to it, and it's you know it's exciting, it's futuristic looking, and 
and everything. But it does have a lot of those interesting undercurrents that later on when you start thinking about that idea of like, oh, the, you know, the state basically telling you that you have to die and, you know, 30 seems awfully young. And these people are all very ignorant too. When you realize that they're, they're not uh, aware of like things outside of the dome. They don't know about the world and that's outside the dome. Right. Um, well, I think that's kind of a, basically a metaphor for our existence and the government. It's like a lot of, a lot of people, especially back then, if the government said this, well, you pretty much did it. You pretty much accepted uh -huh. it. You didn't question it a lot, you know, until you, until you got to, you know, more modern times. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people basically were like sheep. And it's like, okay. You know, and the interesting thing about the movie is they never really explain how it got to that point. Like, why are they in these domes? Was there some kind of atmospheric thing? Was it an apocalypse? Was there some kind of atmosphere out there that they had to block out by building these domes? Why do people only live to 30? Was it a, uh, was it to like contain the population or so like well, food wouldn't run out or? Yeah, I mean. Well, the, the at the beginning they do have that uh, there's that little scrawl that talks about, you know, there was overpopulation, right. war, and pollution. And then they said everybody lived in a dome city um, to create like an ecologically balanced world. But yeah, they don't go into great depth about it. But I think those concerns were on people's minds at the time. I can, if we want to talk about the book in a little bit, I can, it, it does go into a little more detail, but it's very different than the movie, so. Yeah, I kind of assumed, right, because of the scroll, uh, we burned out the planet. And that was kind of a theme. Well, it still is now, actually. Uh, but, you know, there was the oil embargo. Uh, you know, Watergate had just happened, you know, years before. We got out of the Vietnam War. Um, well, even to put that into more perspective, there was also, like, gas rationing. Yeah, I, you, know, you know, people, you had the people driving their cars. Then it was like if you had an even numbered license plate, you'd go on one day. An odd numbered license plate, you'd go the other day. Like they'd alternate, and there'd always be like huge lines at all the gas stations. Right, right. You know, we were, we were using up resources and stuff, and I think that's kind of where uh, that dystopian future took us. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because on the surface, it looks like a utopian society, right? Everything right. they need is provided. Um, they're pretty much just hedonists. They run around just, you know, having whatever pleasure they want all day. Um, but then you realize, oh, it's actually a dystopian society because they only get to live <laughs> till 30. Right. And then if you go outside the domes, everything's a mess. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, uh, with running around the mall. Me and my friends did that, too. And it's like, you know, what are you guys doing? Nothing. We're looking for Orange Julius. It's over in the food court. Stop running around you. Oh, you mean sanctuary. It's yeah. over there. <laughs> sanctuary <laughs> is Orange Julius. <laughs> uh, um, you know, this is one of my favorite movies, uh, and, and it remains to this day. And... You know, we'll, we'll get into, like, uh, carousel and stuff, but some of the special effects, they left them as is. At, at the time, they did the best they could with the budgets that they had and the story. It'll be interesting to hear Karen's take on the book because I, for one, never read the novel. Um, I remember the comic books, 
Didn't really watch the TV show, although I've read some good stuff. I may end up buying the box set of the of the TV show. I don't know if you guys watched that. We'll get into it as we... Uh, Back when it aired, but yeah, I haven't watched it since. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a dim yeah. memory. <laughs> is it even available on... on it is. It's you could Apple streams everything oh, for a okay. price. So. Or you can buy it, too. I think I saw it on eBay. There's only 14 episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think nine of them aired... And then it got canceled, but they aired them in Europe. And then there was mention, hey, we're jumping all over the place. Spoiler alert, too, guys. Uh, if you're listening in and never saw Logan's Run, we're going to spoil the heck out of this film. But um, they were going to do some Mego toys, uh, dolls, whatever, action figures based on the series. And because it got canceled, they just, you know, that went out of production. It wasn't going to happen. But I digress, getting back to the film. Um, what were some of the other movies that came out uh, around that time, other than like Planet of the Apes, which, you know, I, I think is a dystopian future because the apes took over? <laughs> well, you had like, uh, heck, you had Soylent Green, you had the Omega Man. Right. The Omega Man, right. Yeah. So, Michael York, who was in Logan's Run, went on to do Island of Dr. Moreau. So our future was not looking too bright for those movies in the 70s. Well, I think that was kind of. You know, we were just getting out of the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and uh, like I say, we had the whole gas rationing thing. I think we even had an electric electricity shortage, right? That I, I don't think at recall. the time they they did away with daylight savings time for a year to save electricity, and oh. they were all just talking about you know, yeah, turning your lights out and things like that. So in um, Logan's Run, we we you know burnt the planet to a crisp or, or used all the resources. So we're in these dome cities. And we only have until the age of 30 to live. And how did you know that your time was expired? You had a crystal embedded in your hand. And uh, it would turn a certain shade of, uh, was it red? Red was the last stage. Yeah, it was the last stage. It was clear when you were a kid, then it was green, then it was red, and then it would start blinking when it was your time to enter carousel. And that was the time to enter carousel. uh, For your chance to renew. (laughs) Which wasn't going to happen. Which was not a very good chance. Yeah, you had a better chance of winning the lottery. <laughs> you had a better chance of running. Thus, the title. Right. So there were these runners, and they were trying to escape THX 1138. I couldn't remember the name of that <laughs> film. It just hit me. That was that was shot in the BART tubes. Yeah. Bay Area Rapid Transit, which was the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah, it's before they like opened our, it up. Our transit. Right. Yeah, they opened up the, uh, the tubes that they... They but were the trains weren't in. running. No, no, they were. Yeah, they were still Bart under construction. hadn't even started yet. They were just under construction, and they shot yes. that whole movie down in the Bart. Swerved off course here. <laughs> Bring us back on course, Walker. So the Some runners were trying to, pad, to find sanctuary. Yes, sanctuary. So, so uh, you know, they'd go running around looking for sanctuary, but they had these police. Were they police? What were they called? Sandman. Sandman. Sorry. And they they would shoot you rather than arrest you. See, now talking about that big, you know, really nice miniature set. Yeah. I thought the guns were pretty interesting because it wasn't like laser guns or phaser pistols or whatever. Yeah. It's like it'd have like a bloom of flame flame coming out the front, and then like a few seconds later, you'd see a explosion on the wall or wherever the target was. You never saw anything coming out of it. You just see the the 
bloom of flame on the front and then the explosion on the wall or someone's chest or whatever. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it didn't look very pleasant to get shot by one of those guns. No. Um, <laughs> well, everybody seemed to die with one shot. You know, as soon as you got shot, boom, they were down. And Michael York, uh, there was an interview with him uh, in, uh, I forget where, it was an article I read, but he said that those guns were constantly malfunctioning. So sometimes <laughs> they would go off when you least expected it. Sometimes you'd be trying to shoot them for a scene and they wouldn't go off. And so uh, he was not he was not pleased with the guns. <laughs> Well, notice they don't tuck them down in their waistband or anything. So. <laughs> Probably a smart thing not to do. But well, I always thought when I, was, when I first saw it, I thought those guns were so cool. You know, this. Yeah, they are. What was that, Karen? Uh, and, and another interesting thing I noticed watching it again was uh, when they would terminate somebody, they had these guys come by. Uh, they were flying on these little platforms. <laughs> And they would like spray this goop on the body, and then like spray a mist, and then the the little the body would like completely disappear. It was also sanitary. Well, yeah, it was you like it's almost like it melted. Yeah. And it was like a puddle of goo, and then it just disappeared. And so, efficient. Just gone. No, nobody has to worry about it. No one has to see it. Nothing to see here. Just move on. Well, that's the thing. No one has families, so no. you don't have to worry about. Right. You know, turn your body over to somebody. Right. It's like you're gone, you're done, off you go. Same with carousel, you're floating around and then suddenly, boom, you're gone, right? You're, that wasn't and that as carousel clean. set was huge. Um, I don't know if you guys, if you watched it off of like the Blu-ray, but they had a documentary on there and uh, they showed how they built that set and that thing was gigantic. and. Did they use it more than once or just once in the Twice, right? No. They had it at the beginning, they had it again, just a quick shot. It might have even been the same shot, but they had a shot of it at the end. It seemed like they put a lot of money into it. When Michael York is running in with Jen Jenny Agater and Peter Ustinoff is outside, and they're trying to convince everyone not to go. But, um, I mean, keep in mind, too, back then, the big thing was like, laser shows and holograms, yeah. right? So, you know, they had the laser effects in there, plus you had even like when uh, Michael York is getting uh, interrogated. It's oh, not him amazing. answering, it's like a hologram of his head, you know, which looks kind of cheesy now, but back then it was like, ooh, 3D hologram, there that's so cool. Is no I, I love that scene, that's like one of my sanctuary. favorite scenes. Um, with the, yeah, there is no sanctuary. And you see the different, you know, versions of him answering questions, surrogation. Is unacceptable. It's haunting, uh, you know, as I think about it. It freaked me out as a kid, but it is kind of haunting just to have that, like, hologram. Well, the other you. haunting thing is when he goes in for his new face. Oh, Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. Well, Farrah <laughs> Fawcett was not the haunting, haunting part I was thinking way. about, but. No, no, she wasn't. Um, her hair was kind of haunting back then. But anyway, um, no, he's on the table, and it's like they do the Goldfinger laser uh, thing one one step yeah. better um, by having all these lasers. Like you know, once once the uh, doctor finds out that he you know that he's supposedly you know undercover Sandman, flips a switch, and all of a sudden all the lasers start going all over from this big spider-like machine. 
and uh, then Michael York and the the doctor have the big fight on the table with all these lasers shooting all over them and stuff. And it's like, you know, back then, I mean, laser effects. You know, before that, you had what like Star Trek phasers and things like that. You know, right. like, but you know, these lasers were the little pinpoint precision type lasers, and you know, they looked quite impressive back then. And uh, you know, so this that was, was quite an exciting scene for his time. Huh? It was before the lightsabers, so lasers were like it was. Whoa. And then we had the box. Oh yes. Roscoe box. Lee Brown, and I never knew this when I was researching this. He was actually in the box suit. Oh well, yeah, you can, can actually, yeah, you can actually see, see there's a couple scenes where face. yeah, you can when the mouth opens, you can see his his mouth in there. His face. Oh well, I, <laughs> but, I, uh, I I should probably get the Blu-ray. But yeah, <laughs> I, I was never really too impressed with box, even though he was nice and shiny. It's like you know, you grow up with the Lost in Space robot and Robbie the robot, and then suddenly you get box. And I uh, just he, it was more what he said that like. Even to this day, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, I, that does not compute. Warning, Will Robinson. Plankton. <laughs> Seaweed and protein Are from you the impressed? I, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's kind of weird. Overwhelming, am I not? <laughs> well, because he was psychotic. He was part man, yes. part machine, and he was, you know, I, I'm an artist. I, I look at all the things I sculpt, and oh, look at these people I've shoved into the ice here, too. Yeah. <laughs> He, he the thing that doesn't get me though is like Jenny Agutter and, and uh, Michael York had just come out of you know swimming in the water and they come out into this ice cave and so they're like well let's put on these uh, these uh, animal skins or whatever they were yeah. but it's like but let's take our wet clothes off first and they have the gratuitous nude scene and then they put on the uh, animal pelts or whatever and then when he says you know follow me outside or whatever they put their wet clothes back on and off they go. It's like, well, let's freeze anyway. We'll go out this way. But Could have been balmy out there. We don't know. Uh, no. And they, they cut out a scene where the two of them were posing for Fox. Uh, they were yeah, you know, to, I remember that. Yeah, it yeah. was definitely not in the uh, Blu-ray. Right. They were supposed to embrace nude and he was going to sculpt them. And they uh, Well, wasn't they that the thing it. that he wanted her as a subject? And... Um, well, the book is more, it has a lot more to do with that. I think in the film, they originally did have a scene where the two of them embraced in the nude and they, they had filmed it and then they said, uh, we're for rate, you know, if we want to get this as a, like a PG, we're going to have to. Mm. Yeah, but see, I, re I remember those scenes though. They had to have been shown somewhere. So I, I vividly remember the scenes and also the fact that he wanted her as his model or whatever. And they had refused, and he was like, that's kind of when he decided to just freeze him in the ice. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely remember that scene. So I'm, maybe it was in the theatrical release, and they cut it in subsequent releases or something. But Could be. Maybe you saw it at a convention. Ah, uh, that's we'll a possibility, to too. But what's Google that? it. Google. Google. I know I didn't see it on YouTube, because I can't remember ever YouTubing a... Anything about Logan's run, but but I do remember seeing that scene. Some intrepid view, uh, audience member is gonna figure yeah <laughs> where I saw it and they'll post. But so they finally make it past box and sanctuary, and who do they discover? Peter oh. Ustinov. Well, 
Before they do that, though, you know, they, when they go outside and they see the sun for the first time. Oh, yeah. That, that was kind of interesting. Um, you know, because you think about it. Oh, yeah. What if you'd never seen the sun? Like, what would your reaction be? Like, there's this huge fireball orange in red ball. <laughs> <laughs> That, was that, kind that of interesting. is interesting, actually, right? Because you're like, huh? We must. And there be was a, a waterfall there that they encountered, and I, <clears throat> I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to to research this, but the waterfall that they, you know, encounter and then jump in the pool. I thought, man, that looks a lot like the waterfall from Planet of the Apes when the astronauts are running around, jumping in the water, and and uh, I don't know. This is an MGM film, so it could be they. Reused a lot of sets back then. Well, the outside set, which was all the stair steps and waterfalls and that, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'm sure that's probably part of a mall or something somewhere. I don't. Yeah, think it, was, I don't think it was built specifically for the movie, but. That's that set where they have the the water going down all the steps. I remember reading somewhere that that was something in Dallas called like the Dallas Water Garden. Oh, okay. Uh, some, I figured yeah. it had to be something yeah. real. They may have done some map painting around that, I'm sure. But uh, my, my wiki research tells me it was the Hyatt Regency, uh, hmm. Fort Worth Water Gardens, and the Hyatt Regency Hotel. Ah, okay. And the sewage disposal plant was in El Segundo, <laughs> California. More information than you ever wanted to know about Logan's Run, folks. That's what you're getting on today's podcast. Good old El Segundo. <laughs> well, if you want to do the Logan's Run tour through Texas and California, <laughs> now you know. You could go on a bus full of cats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious. I mean, we're going to kind of jump around here a little. But, uh, Karen, you did read the novel. Did you read it, Bob, or no? No, I did not. I did have the comic back in Oh, the that's day. what it was, right. But I... Uh, but I've long since let that go. Why don't you uh, give us a... Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I have no information whatsoever on the novel, so that's all, Karen. Me neither. I was going to say, Waki, why don't you give us a little uh, intro? How does, the, how does the novel differ starting off than the movie, or, or does it? So, so the book was written in 1967 uh, by William F. Nolan and George Clayton Johnson. So Nolan had, wrote a lot of short stories uh, that appeared in a lot of uh, sci-fi and fantasy magazines, and he also wrote some novels. George Clayton Johnson is probably maybe known to some of the listeners for having written um, episodes of Twilight Zone, Star Trek, Kung Fu, and, and other TV series. And mm-hmm. so. The book is really quite different. The, the only real premise that, that stays the same is that there's a Logan, there's a Jessica, uh, people have to die at an early age and they're running. <laughs> That's about it. Um, in, the, in the book, the age limit is 21. Oh, wow. So it's even worse, yes. Yeah. Um, and there's no domed cities. Uh, people live all over the world. The whole thing, the reason that they've gotten to this state a few hundred years in the future uh, has to do with both overpopulation and the youth movement. So knowing that this was written in 67, it was at the height of like flower power and, you know, the summer of love and all that. And so, so, uh, so were there carousels like all over the world then? 
no, there was no carousel in the in the book either. People just had to report when when you hit 21, you were supposed to report to a sleep center. And if you didn't, I guess that was kind of more like Soylent Green, right? You had to say, report yeah. somewhere. Um, and if you didn't, then the uh, the Sandmen would come after you. That's funny so, because it's like a reoccurring theme with Star Trek, where it's yeah. like, right. You know, they had the computer simulated war, and it's like, okay, your section was blown up, so you all Go have to, to report center. to the uh, death chamber or whatever. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was more about you know resources and overpopulation and the mm. youth movement. There were so many young people that they just kind of overthrew the governments and imposed their own standards. Um, and then uh, the Logans, like in the movie, so people kind of forget that actually in the movie, Logan is actually working for the, the computer that runs the city, right? He's not really seeking sanctuary for most of the movie. And he's so like he under, he's like undercover trying to find sanctuary for right. Yeah, so they could do away with it or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing in the book. He's He takes Jessica along, but for like a good three quarters of the story, he's still thinking, well, if I find sanctuary and figure out how to destroy it, maybe the the computer will, you know, renew me and I'll get longer life um, or I'll become a hero or whatever. Um, but in the in the book, not only is there a legend of sanctuary, there's a legend of an old man named Ballard. Mm. And Ballard is supposed to be like 45 years old. So he's oh, the old man. He's, man. <laughs> he's a really old man. And so they're trying to find him. Um, there's no carousel, but there is um, there is a box. They encounter him in the Arctic where there's a prison that they get put in for a while. And he it's pretty much the same story. He tries to uh, sculpt them and kill them and then they escape. Um, and there's cubs. We didn't talk about the cubs, but there's cubs that they run into. Um, they also run into these like sort of bikers called gypsies who ride devil sticks and <laughs> that's kind of a really weird part. And they, they travel all over the country. So they start in Los Angeles and they go into the um, Southwest and they wind up out on the East Coast. And finally they end up in Washington. Um, and Washington was the only place where a small nuclear weapon had been exploded during this youth uprising. So similar to the movie it's it's kind of um devastated more and, worldwide uh, than the movie though and the movie seems like it all takes place in and around washington yeah 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 so it's weird because when they off. leave the domes it doesn't take them that long to get to washington but then when they go back to the domes it seems like it's a whole lot farther yeah <laughs> well they've got they gotta drag peter houston off oh that's true so let's talk um, about peter houston off a little bit um what would you like to say well, I mean, you know, interesting character. I mean, he's got all these little rhymes that he does, and obviously his, you know, he, foreign to them, he grew up with his mother and father, who then passed away. Right. And he's got, like, 300 cats or whatever <laughs> living in this uh, Library of Congress somewhere in They're Washington. fortunate he didn't go crazy like Box. <laughs> he was a little nuts, though. I think, I think he was crazy. But, but not like Box. He wasn't no. evil crazy, but he was <laughs> he was cute old man crazy. There you go. That's a good distinction. Not evil crazy, <laughs> but cute old man crazy. You know, he improvised most of those lines, too. No, really? That's what I read. 
Michael York said it again. I take it from Michael York's mouth to God's ears. <laughs> of, you know. I'll have to watch it. With the, it has a commentary with Michael York and the director on it. But oh. yeah, I, I want to watch that again too. Jump, jumping back to Bob's recollection, I was looking again at my little wiki notes, and uh, what it says here, Bob, about that scene with them. Uh, some of these scenes are featured as extras in the 1998 DVD release. Ah, that's probably so what maybe I saw that's, Like Karen said, maybe you saw it at a show or somewhere. I have the Blu-ray. I don't know what happened with the DVD, but <laughs> if I did see it and I vividly remember seeing it, it must have been on that. Or it could have been on some special back in the day or something. Right, right? that yeah. they aired, you know. Or some sci-fi documentary or something. Or something but You and, know... What I think is interesting, too, is Peter Ustinov, okay, he's playing the old man, right? Yeah. You guys want to guess how old he was when he played that role? 48. I'd say uh, Peter Ustinov, Peter Ustinov, well, he's probably like, I, I'm saying close to 40. Well, you guys, I was hoping you'd guess older. <laughs> it was 54. He was 82. Oh, what? He was 54, but, you oh, okay. know, I mean, they were trying to make him look like he was 70 or something. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, it's definitely good makeup, unless unless he lived a hard life and he looked, you know, <laughs> those wrinkles were his, but. <laughs> Poor Peter Houston. He lived a hard. It was like uh, Bubba uh Gump, uh, Forrest Gump. Forrest, I thought right. you going to say Bubba Hotel. <laughs> uh, Sally Field's the same age, or just about as, as Tom Hanks, yet she was his mother. Well, look at Aunt May. She gets younger with each <laughs> integration of Spider-Man. Uh, that's true. But, no, I mean, it was definitely good old man makeup. That's interesting. So. He improvised a lot of his lines. Funny. Well, he's, you know, he was a really... Um, what do you want to say? Uh, witty. He had he had a witty repartee, as they say. Repartee. So he he ad libbed all those little poems and things that he does. Apparently, he came up with a lot of it. Wow. From what Michael York said, he he and he said that he was you know very entertaining and and a joy to be around, and that he came up with a lot of those lines. He said were just improvised. So kind of like Jonathan Winters. But uh, I just one one couple other things from the book i just wanted to say that um the the guns in the book were more interesting because they had six charges that were completely different so they did different things and so logan would always be like picking out what charge he was going to use so they had a homer which was like the charge you saw in the the movie the ammunition but he had a tangler that would shoot a net he had a ripper that basically shot out like a little blades nitro which exploded a vapor that made like a, a gas and then he had uh, what they called a needler which i think was like an anesthetic um so he was but it, it didn't seem like a, the greatest thing in the world because he'd have to sit there and figure out what, <laughs> what yeah. they're gonna like shoot well the ones in the movies they never ran out of uh, ammunition either yeah that's true endless ammunition and uh eventually um they do find ballard who, spoiler, turned out to actually have been Francis in disguise. I, it was weird. It didn't make a lot hmm. of sense to me. Huh. Uh, you know, the guy, Francis, was the other Sandman who was chasing Logan and Jessica. And uh, at the end, it turns out, unlike the movie, Sanctuary actually did exist. It was a space station that was orbiting Mars. So they take off in a rocket and they, they head to the space station. Well, so, that might have made things a little more interesting. <laughs> 
So yeah, quite a quite a few differences between the two. And I just wonder if they ever decide because they keep talking about doing a remake of Logan's Run. It's like, well, how much of the how much of it would be like the film, and how much would be like the book? You know, because yeah. they vary so much. Well, they would probably make it more like Running Man or Total Recall. Or whatever. Well, you have to wonder how much the themes in the the movie would be relevant to today, because um, a lot of that movie to me is so seventies. It's almost like they took like a. It's like almost like Studio Fifty Four in the future. <laughs> it's just, you know, people at that time they were all about you know enjoying life and being high and whatever. And it's like, you see that in that movie. And I well, don't know if it's- Bright colors too. I mean, look at all the, you know, all the greens were, were greens and all the red were red. And you know, this, so you had all these like greens and reds and you know, well, really, think- really bright primary colors everywhere. Yeah. I think people still want to get high today though. So, you know, they could-, they could <laughs> And they still want to have this. a- <laughs> They want to be able to walk into their house and press a button and have an instant uh, companion for the night. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, actually, some people... As long as they don't change their mind once they get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, look, you have internet dating now. So, you know, there are people who do go home and, you know, push buttons and find people to go out with. I don't know. I, you know, with, with the right mind and the right team behind it, I think they could kind of update uh, Logan's run. I don't know if it would be as as good or as fun uh, not fun but <laughs> interesting as the first film and you know like Bob was alluding to you kind of watch these movies uh, nostalgically you know well they're all sort of a product of their time right and you have to think about when you're watching a movie from whether it's the 70s or 80s or 50s or 30s or whatever you have to kind of think about and realize what was going on in real life during that time, whether it was, you know, the whole McCarthy trials and who's communist and who's not when Invasion of the Body Snatchers came out and played on that, or whether it's uh, all the themes that we talked about that Logan's Run is playing on. Um, everything tends to be, even movies today are probably a product of, of their times and they'll be looked upon decades from now as that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times with the films and stuff, Whatever's going on today plays a big role in the themes and the stories and the characters of uh, the movies of the time. I, I agree. I think it adds kind of layers for the viewer to be like, oh, yeah, uh, McCarthyism. But then, you know, I wasn't alive during the 50s, but I love, you know, what the, the Maltese Falcon and Thing from Another World. And, you know, so maybe I don't have that, you know, I lived in that era connection but a, a good film is a good film yeah well yeah you don't fire yeah. so, this, this is a word for you kids today but <laughs> you don't have to have lived in that time to enjoy a movie from but it adds, from another era it, it adds to the but, appreciation you know you can you can sit and you can watch a movie or you can sit and watch a movie and then research yeah see you know what was this all about what, yeah. what were these themes what was going on back then yeah what was the world like back when this movie came out. We, we kind of uh, cut you off, Karen. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Oh, no, I was, I was just saying that, you know, a, a good movie is timeless, you know, there and there are certain True. themes that are timeless because they just, 
relate to the human condition. There are things, I mean, you look at Shakespeare, mm-hmm. why is that stood the, the uh, test of time? Because there are certain basic human emotions and relationships that have existed forever and probably will exist forever. Well, that's the thing, you know, is a movie made to cash in on a current fad or craze? Or is a movie made just to, you know, be a commentary and, you know, talk about the human condition or whatever? It's, you know, how rooted in its time is the story? Yeah. Do you you want to talk a little bit about the main actors and actresses in this film? I'm sure you guys have things to say about Jenny Agater, who was only 23. <laughs> so she would have she would have still had seven years before her life clock clicked over. <laughs> yeah, she was 23. I think I was 16 when that came out. So, um, so you would have definitely been green. Yeah, I was green still. And uh, I was commenting to Larry earlier that um, with Jenny Agater's outfits... They're all very, someone put a lot of thought and strategically ripped <laughs> ripped her clothes in certain ways throughout the uh, movie that she was always uh, showing something off. But, uh, yeah. and getting her wet a lot. They seem to always, whether they're walking under a pipe and boom, they get wet or they're, you know, they have to f- swim under some tube to get out or yeah, whatever or get bad back luck. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like, you know, it was kind of like, Kind of like George Lucas trying to convince Carrie Fisher that they don't have bras in the future. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Same type of thing. But, uh, no, Jenny Agater, I mean, she was in quite a few movies, you know, back then, since then. I mean, she was even in uh, Captain America um, Winter Soldier. No. Right. Yeah, she's one of the the council or whatever. Oh, oh. Yeah, the S.H.I.E.L.D., Okay, yeah, yeah the shield hologram. Oh, yeah, she's one of the holograms. And she was the one, in fact, that um, Black Widow also disguised yeah, yeah. herself as. And, uh, yeah, that was Jenny Agner. Oh, okay. And, of course, she was in uh, American Werewolf in London. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. With the Dr. Pepper guy. The Dr. Pepper guy, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Um, yes. David McNaughton, that was it. I was like eight or nine when this came out, and uh, back then in in San Jose, California, my uh, cousin, well, my uncle, I watched this with my cousin Pete, uh, they they had a cable service called Gill Cable, and, um, uh, you know, it was kind of like HBO, but anyway, they had this movie on, and it was all about Farrah Fawcett back then. Pete and I well, everything was about Farrah Fawcett back then. Oh, my God. So this movie came out, and I was like, oh, Farrah Fawcett. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, she did not do well in the movie. Uh, spoiler alert. But um, Look, if you need a spoiler alert for a movie that's like 45 years old, <laughs> can't help you there. I can't imagine too many people would, would watch this now, but, uh, yeah, you, you make a good point. Um but you were saying Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. She was huge back then. She was in Charlie's Angels, and every guy wow. back then had a Farrah Fawcett poster in there. Yeah, this came the out just before uh, Charlie's Angels. Was hit. it before? Yeah, yeah. Another Michael York contribution. Uh, he saw her playing tennis in Los Angeles and uh, decided she should be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what else went on, but apparently he 
he felt she should be in the movie, but she was, uh, I think she was married to Lee Majors at this point and um, yeah, got her the part in the movie. And then, yeah, right after that, she she got into Charlie's Angels, at least as according to to him, I don't know. I should probably double check that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, she obviously hit Yeah, the I want to say Charlie's Angels was what, about a year or two after that? 77 or 78? Something like that. So yeah. You know, coincidentally, Kirk Douglas saw her playing tennis and uh, wanted her in Saturn... Uh, Saturn Five. Five. No, just kidding. <laughs> so to all as- aspiring actresses, go, <laughs> go play, play tennis. tennis. <laughs> and get yeah, discovered Charlie's by some Angels. old man and taken wow. into a movie. Now, how did Char- Michael... Oh, go ahead, Walker. I was just going to say, uh, Charlie's Angels premiered in September of 76, and this film came out in June of 76. Oh, Okay. Right. So yes, Michael York knows what he's talking. So this was a, a a Michael York vehicle. I mean, they, the 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 director, well, producer, whoever it was like. Well, we he obviously had a lot of influence. This. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Michael York. I, I looked up the ages of everybody because I was curious. Like, would they have would they have gone past their time clock? Would they have not? He was thirty three uh, at this time, and and he had made a number of films. So he had made both Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, Cabaret. I think Cabaret was sort of his breakthrough movie back in 72. Um, and of course, he had, I think his first big film was Romeo and Juliet in the 60s. Hmm. So he'd been around a while. Yes, with um, Olivia de Hussey. So, so yeah, he had, he had a, some say and he was pursued for this project. Mm. Um, and you know he i mean he had a pretty good career through the the 70s um and you know since then as well of course a lot of people probably know him from the austin powers movies now um but you know he was he was a stud back then kind of skinny i mean for my taste let's just say but you know he was a good looking man so he was definitely a skinny guy yeah i mean if they did it nowadays they'd definitely have some huge guy uh you know, but like, like you could just see like if, if they went back in time and and took Michael York and put him in a movie now, they put him on like a Chris Hemsworth diet, you know, where he <laughs> ate chicken like six meals a day <laughs> and bulked him up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, throw throw like, Schwarzenegger in there. Logan's Run starring The Rock. <laughs> oh God. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. I am looking for sanctuary. And of course, um, uh, Francis Richard Jordan, he was a really intense guy, a uh, really good protagonist or antagonist. Sorry, right, in the film. Yeah. Um, he didn't give up, man. They could not shake him for anything. No, <laughs> no. And that final fight scene between the two of them uh, inside the the old uh, I don't know what's the old building in Washington. Uh, that was pretty brutal when, especially when Logan picks up that, that, um, I don't know, what is it, like a flag? Uh, uh, just pummels pole. him with it? Yeah, that was rough. He whacks him a few times in the well, back. And yeah, they use, he was using the pole, the flagpole on Michael York, right? Well, he was, and then he, yeah, Frank. Then he took, yeah, and then he took it away and I guess hit him a couple times. And then, but then he picked up something else. Sounds like a sconce or something, and started whacking. But yeah, now they used quite a few props. Oh, the one thing that got me was Francis. I like, jumped off that railing, 
And it looked like he was going to miss Michael York by about 10 feet. And then they cut and he like lands right on top of him. So. I was uh, reading up on the film and uh, they had said that this movie did very well at the box office. It is credited with helping MGM recover from debt. Hmm. So I don't know what kind of debt they were in, but... Um, I was trying to think, what did MGM have out around that time? They had the Bond films. I mean, yeah, whatever Bond movie those, came out. You know, 76, 77, that was probably... Um, Spy Who Loved Me? Uh, or Spy Loved Me, Moonraker. Moon, okay. I, Moonraker came out like just after, like 78, I think, just after Star Wars. Or maybe Man with the Golden Gun? Or was that earlier? Uh, that was earlier. So I think, yeah, mm. it was, probably, it was probably Spy Love. Spy Love Me was 77. Okay. Yeah. So whenever so. they have a, a, a popular uh, uh, film, like Planet of the Apes, what do they do? They have a TV show. So I don't know what the thinking was behind putting together a Logan's Run TV show because, you know, the movie had a beginning, middle, and, and end. How do you do a TV show? Like you were saying earlier, you only saw it when it came on. You don't really recall. I remember, I remember Heather Menzies was in there. She had sort of the fairy haircut, but... Um, yes, mm-hmm. Heather Menzies. Yeah. Yeah, Gregory she, Harrison. She got wet a couple of times in, in a couple of episodes. Uh, Strategically, water was poured <laughs> on her. Yeah, and they had a robot character, too, or an android character. You know, they were trying to cover everything, I think, but... You know how how far can you go with it? I guess it was sort of. Uh, well, I remember about fourteen seeing, episodes, right? Yeah, basically that's it. You know, it was a pseudo fugitive thing, and it just yeah, it just ran out of gas. I think. I I never saw it. I, I think I'm going. I don't know if I'll rent it or, or buy it. Whatever's cheaper. But they were saying that Harlan Ellison wrote uh, an episode or more. Uh, oh God, I never David remember. Gerald. David Gerald was involved, and the the, the oh sorry Walker, go ahead. Oh, yeah, D.C. Fontana, too, I think, was, like, story editor. So so they had, like, you know, these Star Trek pedigrees, and uh, it was a, a Data-type character. So I wonder if that character went with those Star Trek creators or writers into the next gen to, to help create Data. I don't know. Um, so I've got to watch it and find out now. Um, okay, you watch it and you can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I recently got the Planet of the Apes series, so I'm going to be watching that. And I got the cartoon. I, I see. I so. can't get through the cartoon. The cartoon for me doesn't work, but the series is really pretty. The cartoon pretty has good. a really dark beginning, though. It, well, well, and they're, for, they for actually, a Saturday morning cartoon at the time. They drive vehicles and things like they yeah. did in, in the books. But see, like Logan's Run never had a cartoon, though. They had a comic book. Marvel did a comic. That's true. That's true. But oh yes. No cartoon. TV um, show though. We're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. And speaking of the uh, comic book, though, Karen uh, had an interesting tidbit of a character that was introduced uh, in the comic. Yeah. Karen, would you please uh, enlighten? So, the interesting thing about the, the Logan's Run uh, comic um, is that so they, they did adapt the film uh, over the course of six issues. And, they, and Marvel thought they were actually going to do an ongoing. And then it they had some legal kerfuffle with MGM because MGM didn't actually want them to do anything past the, the movie, but um, they needed to have, because they didn't have quite enough material for a full sixth issue, mm. um, they needed to have like a, a fill-in story in the back. So they wound up putting in um, a story that was 
uh, Mike Zeck's, uh, like a tryout story. Mike Zeck, if you, if you don't know, some people will recognize. He's an artist. He worked on uh, Marvel Secret Wars. He worked on Captain America. He's a really outstanding artist. And uh, this was his tryout. And he drew an issue. He drew a story um, with Thanos in it. Really? Thanos not, not being as big as he is now. But anyway, it was like a six-page story. And they said, ah, we got to fill some space. So let's just throw this story in the back of Logan's run. So that's what they did. And uh, then over time, people started finding out about it. Like, oh, there's a Thanos solo story in this Logan's Run issue. So that Logan's Run issue, number six, has become like this big collector's item. <laughs> um, it's like the hidden gem because people, not because they give a crap about Logan's <laughs> Run, but because they want to read about Thanos. So, so let me guess. So box actually ends up with the crystals? <laughs> <laughs> My birds, I bring you to life. And, and, Overwhelming, and am I not? <laughs> Thanos is naked posing for box. <laughs> <laughs> Planting seaweed see and crystals from the sea. <laughs> but, That's you know, I heard there was another story where Logan actually made it past Carousel. And uh, it covers his times as old man Logan. Just kidding. Just kidding. Like, wait a minute. I had a stretch for that one. With his friend Hawkeye. Well, we've come On to that, that note. point in the podcast <laughs> for our censor sweep. <laughs> and not too soon. No, just kidding. Uh, this week's, or this episode's uh, censor sweep is uh, Karen's turn. So, uh, Karen, what do you have to share with us this fine uh, part of our uh, podcast? Well, not surprisingly, I talked about the Logan's Run novel and uh, I had managed to just fortuitously come across in my many crates and boxes here in the satellite, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Logan's Run novel that was issued when the movie came out. Nice. So this was in 76. Um, I haven't seen this in ages and I did read it prior to us podcasting and uh it's really cool it has a little picture on the front or a painting actually of of uh michael york and jenny agadir but what i really like about it is it has a section in the middle with all sorts of cool photographs you know this is what they used to do back in the day kids picture. you would go out and you'd buy the novelization or a novel if it was based on a real book and and you'd buy it and especially you'd buy it before the movie came out so you can look at all the cool pictures i did this with star wars too and it drove me mad <laughs> um and yeah they've got pictures in here full color photographs about i don't know 20 or more um have scenes from the film so it's pretty keep in mind awesome. you couldn't google those things back then right that's a good point you had to actually buy books or magazines to get pictures right no, there was no internet kids i know that seems really hard to believe but those of you in the know those of you ancient ones like us you know <laughs> what i'm talking about thing called a library you needed a card those of you who have made it past carousel. <laughs> Those of you who have renewed, you understand. So, yes, it's. I, I'm really happy to have found the book, and I'll try to post some pictures uh, with this, this here podcast. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing. The King of the Monsters is back. back, back. 
Relive his greatest battles in a weekend of Kaiju Classics at the Balboa Theater, August 23rd to 25th. Join Bay Area Film Events at Theater Full of Vendors, Artists, Prizes, and more. For tickets and information, go to bayareafilmevents.com. Don't miss out on the greatest Godzilla event in the Bay Area. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.